The opinions expressed on the Custody Queen Show are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for personal professional legal advice. Hi, I'm Kristen Holstrom. And I'm Sam McBride, and we are the Custody Queens. We have a new show that we couldn't be more excited about. If you're going through a custody battle, fighting for your parental rights, or going through a horrible divorce, nothing is off limits on our new show. Thought it was love, had kids in between, you can count on us with the custody queens, yeah, you can count on us with the custody queens. Hey, go country, it's a glorious Saturday and I'm here with the custody queens. Let's raise them and praise them, it's Saturday and we are coming in hot. And we have a birthday in the house. Yes, our audio engineer, Andre Gill greatest man alive. And if you don't follow him on social media, you're missing out <laughs> because Andre started and we were his passion project. We don't deserve Andre. We don't deserve Andre. We don't deserve a, our we're whole production. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> but everything in life happens for a reason. I'm a firm believer. And Andre is like family, so we want to make sure we give him a shout out. Uh, so follow him on social media. He is one of the most amazing humans I know. All right, ladies, I am back again. It's producer Cam, and I have another round of listener emails. They don't stop. They just keep coming. <laughs> There's a million of them. So I didn't write any segments in because we have so many questions to get through. So we wait, have more wait, than wait. last time. Just one thing. I, I keep huh. your DMs coming, everybody. Yes. I try to answer as many as I can. But if you really want us to answer, you're probably better off getting them to camp. Yeah, just uh, DM Custody Queens on air on Instagram. That's the best way. It's fabulous. Yeah. All I right. was getting distracted by your hair tinsel. Well, you have it too now. I know. You guys I are hair you. tinsel sisters. We're, we're like 12 and a half. <laughs> the half is very important. Okay, are you ready for the first question? We're yes. ready. Kelly from Woodland Hills emailed, Hello, Kristen and Sam. I listen to your show all the time. My daughter won't listen to me or my rules. She is 16 going on 40. She's not a bad kid, but very independent. She has a job and wants to move out on her own. She wants to become emancipated. Is there something I can do to stop her from doing this? Thanks. I'm a mess about it. Hi, Kelly. Uh, I just want to say hi first. And for most of that question, I thought that my mom was actually sending that in and just disguising herself as Kelly because I was a very independent, uh, strong-willed teenager. Uh, I will openly admit that. And I just want to say that 16 is a really, really hard age. You know, that is the time where a girl is kind of becoming a young woman. And if she's anything like Sam and I, you know, just hang in there, mama, hang in there, Kelly. Uh, the emancipation process, I have never actually officially done one. I know it is quite involved. And uh, if, if it actually comes to that, then we can give you some referrals. But I think that you really just need to kind of hang in there with your daughter. I always try to give my kids enough independence for their age that allows them to feel like they're being heard and that they're being seen. And I'm even trying to do that with my seven, almost eight year old. And my husband and I I don't always agree with our approach, but I believe that you have to kind of be patient with her. I think therapy would be a really, really good option because she can talk to someone that's qualified, that can provide you know, some basic advice to what she is looking for, because I really truly don't think that in her heart that she truly wants to live on her own, pay her own, pay her own bills. I mean, that's a, a huge 
thing for a child to go through. But I think my advice would be to hang in there. If it really gets to that process, then reach out to us and we can provide further services and assistance. But I think it's the age is really, really hard. Yeah, and just a quick add to that is we were all 16 and um, we are all very different people. So you know your child the best. And you know where one child may be saying that they want to be financially independent and move out that may be rooted in some other issue that you can talk through or it may be that you have a child that is really ready to to be financially stable so you have to take each child on their own yeah and i would also suggest that you know further talking with your child and using an expert i think that's really important for your situation and may giving may and may give her a little bit more freedom and independence in certain areas. Like, does she have a job? Does, is she able to drive herself? You know, obviously this world is crazy and we wanna protect our kids because we love them with every ounce of our being, but it sounds like she was me when I was 16. And I was really difficult because I was very strong-willed. I was very independent. I knew everything. I was always right. And I had amazing parents. So, you know, maybe start talking about colleges. Does she wanna go out of state? Like. That's an opportunity where she can still remain your child, but that she can have, you know, something to look forward in the near future. But hang in there, Mama. I, we, I have so many cases with teenagers as clients. And believe it or not, it, it that age, it really has an effect on marriages and relationships. So hang in there. Your daughter loves you. I know that. And you just got to figure out a balance on how to get a little bit more independence for her without you losing your sanity. And an expert and a qualified expert would be really good. Well, I want to take a page from you. You would say that the court would would side in the best interest of the child. So if it's not in the best interest of the child to be on their own, the court wouldn't rule that way, correct? There's a bunch of legal intricacies associated with emancipation. And if a child is seriously pursuing that and has counsel, you need to also get counsel and you need to make sure that you are specifically being advised on your facts and your case in your life. Um, but it is a very specific process. Yeah, and there's a lot of issues, you know, is there abuse? Is there something that's happened to the child? Does that child have the ability to basically pay for themselves? Because at the end of the day, the state doesn't want any child being emancipated that can't provide for themselves, you know, mentally or financially. So it's a very complicated process and Sam and I can basically provide more information on this issue privately you know, through a phone call or a Zoom or a message. But this, you know, I, I this is something that we see every day and I probably was your daughter. So hang in there, mama. And if it gets any worse, please call us. We can provide even some basic non-legal advice on how to get through this, but you are not the only one, know that. Your daughter is not the only daughter going through this and you are not the only parent, I promise you. What number should they call, Kristen? They should call 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. And you can also DM us at Custody Queens on Air and you can set up a time to talk to Sam and I. And we can do it Zoom, in person, over the phone. And if we can't provide exactly what you need, and if you do need counsel, if it gets to that point, if we can't provide it, I will make sure that we give you some referrals to get the best representation for you. Excellent. Now, Kristen, this next one's for you. And yes, I really am the short. <laughs> 
Uh, Beatrice from Pasadena wrote in, Hi, Kristen. I want to know how it is working with your family, especially your father. Do you feel extra pressure? I'm sure he's proud of all you've accomplished with Custody Queens. Thanks for being an inspiration. Oh, you're going to bring tears to my eyes, Beatrice. Uh, Working with family is hard. I am all about transparency. I have worked for my dad since I was 16. Uh, He started me off. I would address envelopes with a typewriter. That's how old I am. You know, uh, he would make me clean toilets, you know, everything just to teach me the value of a dollar and what hard work is. And I have quit a few times working for my dad. He'll say he fired me. I will beg to differ. Um, But one (laughs) of the best things that my dad ever made me do is I went to him. I think I... I think I was studying for the bar at the time and I was working as a law clerk and he wasn't very generous with my uh, pay (laughs) and I had asked for a raise and he told me no and he said I should go get a job somewhere else and I did and I made about four times what he was paying me and after a few years we mutually decided it was best for me to come back and we have our struggles all the time. My dad and I do not agree on everything, believe it or not. Um, We actually probably disagree more than we do agree, but we respect each other to a level that we can usually, you know, put our brains together and come up with something. But what most people don't know about Dane, because he truly is one of the best family law litigators in the, the nation, in my opinion, is he is a softy and he is very empathetic and he is very kind and he is very sweet. He has a tough exterior being in this business, but Dane has a heart of gold. Well, and I, I would say that from an, I mean, an, I'm an insider now because I've been at the firm for so many years. But from someone who has seen the Kristen and Dane dynamic throughout the years, and just Dane also with his employees, his clients, etc., my view is that he has a protective stance. So sometimes people can look at that as, you know, Dane's an aggressive litigator, and he is. I mean, he's a wizard in the courtroom. But I, I think it is this loving, protective shield. Yeah, and Sam always says that, you know, whenever Dane spends more time than normal in her office, that it's because Dane and I have probably had an argument and he wants to go check on me through going through Sam. Yeah, Dane will come into my office. I'm like, hey, Dane, I I haven't seen you in a month. And he's like, how is everything? And I'm like, oh, you and Kristen have a a disagreement. (laughs) Yeah, but to keep it real, working with family is not easy. But I always say as long as there's more good days than there are tough days, then it's worth it. I cherish the time that him and I get to have together and build this empire that we've built. And yes, he is very proud of me. He is not someone who shows it or says it often, but just for an example, yesterday, I we had a big Custody Queens event and Dane had known that I had driven from soccer to you know another work event, to talking a client off a ledge, back to a soccer game, back to this big event, changing in my car, doing my hair and makeup in the car, actually, you know, quasi gas station. And he had sent me the most kind voicemail saying how proud he was of me. And Dane doesn't leave voicemails, you know. So if you work with family, it is tough. It is really tough. But embrace it and have your voice heard, be seen. And you have to respect everyone's position. You don't have to agree with them, but you have to respect it because our parents aren't going to be here forever. So the way I look at it is whether we fight, we argue, we disagree, I still get to spend most of my working time with my dad, even though I wish he would take more time off. (laughs) But he loves you guys so much. He loves being part of Custody Queens. He truly has built a family out of us. 
We know divorce can be difficult and scary when it comes to the custody of your children. I'm Kristen Holstrop. And I'm Sam McBride. And we are the Custody Queens. We are family law attorneys here in Southern California and are committed to compassionate and aggressive representation. With custom case strategies, we can achieve the best outcome for your case. So call us and tell us how the Custody Queens can help you. Call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. Caroline from West LA. She wrote, my soon-to-be ex-husband still has access to our home, even though he moved out. I know he comes by randomly because sometimes I see certain things missing. I came home from work and I saw that my wedding ring was gone. When I confronted him, he had no clue what I was talking about. He's blaming me that I sold it for money. This couldn't be farther from the truth. What should I do? Well, um, there's a lot of potential things you can do. The first, and it's probably something Kristen and I say every time, is contact your attorney. But when you are going through a divorce, there are going to be some issues potentially of dividing assets and debts and all of the things that you've acquired during marriage. When you have a family residence and you're living there, or a residence even if you don't own it, uh, you don't have an automatic right just because you're separating to remove one spouse from that residence. There are some exceptions to that like restraining orders, but for the most part, you don't have that. If somebody has left the dwelling and is not really living there, you want to probably talk to your family law attorney about your options, which may include an agreement with uh, the other side or an attorney for you to have exclusive use and possession of the house. So that's one thing that you may consider doing. Another thing would be to itemize some of your tangibles. Now, some of these things like TVs and recliners probably don't have a high enough value to go back and forth litigating for a long time, but you can start off the process by itemizing what you have. Um, There's always going to be a concern that somebody will hide an asset and take it, and then there is an issue with whether there's credibility associated with that. Is a wedding ring truly gone? Can you prove that he took it? That's a trial issue. Um, And then the characterization of a wedding ring, you know, was this, are you discussing your engagement ring, which was provided to you before um, you got married? And so once you have the marriage occur, your engagement ring should, under the civil code of procedure, be your sole and separate property because it's a gift given to you contingent upon you getting married. Um, So there's a lot of issues there, and I'm just kind of trying to highlight and go through them, but... Again, call an attorney, call us, the Custody Queens, at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. And we can get in depth regarding your case and your potential options. Yeah, I only have one thing to add. Uh, That question wasn't entirely clear. What I heard was that you were already divorced and he comes by. Uh, It says soon to be ex-husband. Okay. So, yeah, like Sam said, it depends on what orders the court has made. And I have really practical advice. Um, Get a ring. Have your front door with a camera. Uh, Get one on your back door. You know, nowadays you can literally get cameras on Amazon for 35 bucks. I have 
you know, a few of them just in different, uh, on different doors, usually to check my Amazon boxes, you know, try to hide them from my husband. It's not working. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's just practical. The only way you're going to prove someone did something is, you know, to get the camera. Then you can use that at trial as an exhibit. If the ring is worth $100,000, clearly it's worth fighting for. But, you know, maybe you want to get a safe deposit box. You know, it depends where idea. you are at in the process because you don't want to violate an order. Um, you know, the ATROs go into effect, which are the automatic temporary restraining orders for, you know, for assets and property and anything really of any value. People don't want to sell, you know, expensive things to their brother to, to try to hide it. But it's a complicated issue and it really depends on where you're at in the process. And if he's moved out, then you would want to talk to your attorney about seeing if he'd sign an agreement for exclusive use and possession of the residence, which would limit his coming to the residence to any exchanges of the children if, you know, if that's an issue. And it's you wouldn't make a police report for it, correct? Or you would? I if, if, it, if the wedding ring was of significant value, I would tell my client because you want it documented that and it may be an issue for insurance issues too, you know, if if it really was stolen. And it's going to be dependent on what orders are currently in place or not, because you may be in a preliminary stage where if you're not yet at trial and you haven't yet characterized it or the court hasn't made an order, then it could lawfully be in someone's possession. Whether they've sold it or withholding it would be a different issue. Yeah. And last thing, I know Cameron's trying to, Cam's trying to have me finish this, but the last thing is if you have if he has moved out and he's moved his belongings and it's been a period of time and he wouldn't have a reason to need to come back to the house, you could change the locks. I wouldn't do that until I contacted an attorney and found out what are the potential consequences of me doing that, if any. I always give my clients the information, let them know what the potential consequences are and what they could face by doing that. But again, depending what orders have been made, what status of the case you're in, what disposition, my advice would would differ. But I think getting a ring, doorbell, and I think potentially talking about an attorney, seeing if you can get exclusive use and have it made an order. And that would probably solve some of your problems right there. Right. Good. Great answer. Sam, this next one's for you. Okay. Matthew from Westchester. Hi, Matthew. Yes. Wrote in, hey, ladies, I've caught a few of your shows and went on your Instagram to check y'all out. Sam, you really are tall. (laughs) (laughs) Is it hard to date being that tall? I wouldn't be intimidated, but some other guys would be. Just curious. Cheers, queens. So I've had this question, and it's probably changed uh, throughout my life, but if you know me, I say this often. I've been six foot since I was 13 years old, so uh, it was a lot harder in the seventh grade to date probably because there was nobody that was taller than me. Um, But, you know, as the years have gone on, it's become a little easier. But it's, you know, it's it's been a challenge. But I have I dated a a guy for a pretty, I don't know, 10 years. That was five, seven. So I always say we're all the same height laying down. Oh, okay. Yeah. And. You know, Sam has an amazing boyfriend, and they are... He's 6'4". I was just going to say, they... He's we've, definitely, we've, yeah, we've recovered. He's definitely taller, but, you know, I've seen Sam over the last nine years date people that were all different heights, and, you know, Sam owns it. She knows her value. She knows what she's worth. She knows who she is as a woman, and love is love, you know? It, it doesn't right. necessarily yes. depend on what someone looks like. I always say that, you know, you got to be friends with your partner. That's so much more important than anything else. Agreed. 
All right, moving on. Cynthia from Simi Valley wrote in, Hey ladies, I love your show. I have a question. My sister is getting divorced and the judge ordered supervised visits for her husband. Who pays for the visitation monitor? Thanks, Queens. We had a show, Allison, with uh, Caring Hands. We had a show with, with her about visitation monitors. So, yeah, generally, again, generally, we use that term super loosely. Generally, the person paying for the supervised visits is the one that is being supervised. Now, if mom is the one requesting supervised visitation and dad doesn't have any ability to pay for a supervisor and mom is insistent that it's with a professional for, say, a safety concern, if mom was my client and dad couldn't bear that cost, I would tell my client, if you really want this to be with a professional and and not, you know, a family member or a mutual friend or someone that the court will consider, then I would I would recommend to you that you offer to pay for those visits. Would the court order the let's say in that situation that you just said, the husband, right, who doesn't have the means to pay, would the court ever order the husband to pay for it? And would the wife be doing it as a ploy to keep the husband away? Well, when you're when the court's making a supervised visitation order, there has to be, you know, a finding by the court that it's deemed necessary to have a supervised visitation. The courts do not grant, the judges don't grant supervised visits with a professional you know, without good reason. I mean, that's a pretty restricted visitation. They're often at a facility. They're expensive. Uh, Generally, if I'm the one requesting the supervised visitation for a safety concern, obviously my first request is that the party being supervised pays for it. Um, If my client, if he can't pay for it, then I would recommend that my client pay for it or the court's going to say, okay, just on paper, finances do not support that he can pay for this. Do you guys have three names that you're both agreeable to supervising the visitation? Often that's family members, which creates a whole nother issue. Um, But if I also know that my client's doing it for disingenuine reasons, then I would be having a very serious talk with my client. Yeah. And just to kind of briefly add on to that, the court has a lot of discretion in this area. But ultimately, the goal would be, if there is a concern, to still allow there to be contact between the child and the parent that needs supervision. So the court is, in my experience, generally going to default to ordering the supervised party to pay that. But that's not an absolute. Like Kristen said, there are some other potential issues like finances. There are other creative things. Again, like Kristen said, that the court can get into like a non-professionally agreed upon model. But the goal is to keep the child safe in this scenario while keeping contact. So you want to really look at the essence of that when the court's making an order. Clearly, if one party has absolutely no ability to exercise professionally supervised visits because of the cost, the court has to consider the safety concern, the severity of the safety concern, and how that plays against any relationship that that parent could have had with the child because courts don't want parents to forever be on supervised visits, right? It's a it's a protective thing. And the goal isn't that you always have to visit your parent with a supervisor. The goal is to progress from that, get some rehabilitation or some other safety orders in place. So maybe your marriage didn't go as planned or maybe you didn't pick the best partner to have a child with. Or could it just be baby mama drama? Well, no matter what the situation, situation is, we can help. We are the Custody Queens, and you can call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772.
Okay, Heather. I got Heather from Torrance. And Kristen, this is for you. And it's a good one, I think. Hey, Kristen and Sam, I just love the show and love you too. Kristen, from one busy mom to another, I have a question. I own a business and I'm not home nearly as much as my husband. My two daughters are constantly asking me to be home more. I can't just close up my shop to be home, but I do feel really bad that I'm not with them as much as I'd like to be. How do you handle that conversation with your kids and this situation? Thanks for reading this. Hi, Heather. I feel you. I get you. And I see you, girl. Um, I went through this process very intensely over the last uh, year or so. One of the things I would suggest is you own your business, you control your schedule. For me, organizing my schedule is the key to my success. And stop saying yes to everybody. Do what you need to do for the growth and the income of your business to support your family, but you do not have to say yes to everything. Also, your kids don't need you to be perfect. They need you to be present. And when you are present, get off your phone. Do not have devices. When you are in it, you are in it. You are asking questions. You are listening and you are being there. That's what they want. So, you know, really prioritize. That is the most important. Stop saying yes. Your kids will understand. If they don't now, they will. But you're doing a great job. And just when you have that time with them, just make sure you're making it worth every penny. That's a great answer. I really feel that because any working mom feels that. The mom guilt is real. It is real. Very. All right. Gerald from Riverside emailed, Hi, custody queens. My ex-wife keeps breaking the court order in regards to contacting me outside of the Family Wizard app. She calls my phone, she FaceTimes me, and she emails me. I documented all of this. I brought it up in our last court hearing, and it wasn't even addressed. Why have a court order that says we need to keep all communication within an app if no one's going to regulate it? What can I do with this point? Thanks for any advice. So it's kind of a frustrating area of law in general is the communication between co-parents and the first thing is whether or not you have a court order for it. The enforcement of that court order is sometimes uh, frustrating, but just because someone is not necessarily following the court order doesn't mean you don't have an obligation to. And a lot of times people get frustrated that they feel a court isn't doing anything about it. And the answer may be that the court's not doing anything about it in that moment, or there may be more pressing issues to deal with. But there are some tips and tricks that Kristen and I would probably tell you about redirecting and standing your ground to ensure that that court order is enforced. So don't answer the call unless it's an emergency. Let it go to voicemail. If you are responding to a message, say, I've received your message. Uh, there is a court order for talking parents. I'm going to answer your message there right and direct all the communication that way now practically speaking that may not always work but if somebody understands your boundary and realizes look they're not going to have access to you by texting you or calling you then they're probably a little more likely to communicate through talking parents but if you start saying well they're not listening to it so then i emailed them back or i text them back then you're going to put yourself in a situation where are you helping that court order not keep its integrity um, or are you not able to demonstrate that to a court also, often courts don't do things right away, right as quickly as we want them to. So we want to help educate our clients in the real life practical things. And Kristen taught me this as a young attorney, the practicality of your court orders and how you can try to enforce them outside of court. Yeah. Take care of your side of the street with every order, whether it's something as simple as communicating on our family wizard or talking parents. 
you take care of your side of the street. Do not start mimicking or retaliating or doing what the other party is doing because they're doing it. And a great way, just I'll, I'll make this very simple. Just like Sam said, there's always an exception to that order, almost always, that says if there's an emergency situation. Now, if you're running 20 minutes late for an exchange, clearly texting the person that you're supposed to pick up the child from would be appropriate in that situation. But if they send you a text, voicemail, don't answer it, respond to the email, I received it, I will be responding on Talking Parents or Our Family Wizard, you continue to take care of you and take your care and take care of your side of the street. Do not start violating orders because they are, because at some point this information will get in front of the judge, whether it's an evaluation or a trial, and that's when it's important. We know divorce can be difficult and scary when it comes to the custody of your children. I'm Kristen Holstrup. And I'm Sam McBride. And we are the Custody Queens. We are family law attorneys here in Southern California and are committed to compassionate and aggressive representation. With custom case strategies, we can achieve the best outcome for your case. So call us and tell us how the Custody Queens can help you. Call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. I think we're out of time, ladies. How how fast does that go? I think we need to do another episode because I, I see so many more questions there, I know, on there. So I think I we should just do another one. Just keep giving them to me and I'll make more listener email shows because everybody has questions. And guys, these are my favorite episodes because we get to share a little bit about who we are and we get to know you guys better. So thank you for your questions. Sam and I appreciate it. We love you guys. Custody Queens is what it is because of your support. You can call us for a consult at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. You can follow us on social media at Custody Queens on Air. I am Custody Queen Kristen, and Sam is super original at Samantha McBride. (laughs) You can also fill out a form on our website to set up a consult with our intake team. Thank you, guys, and thank you, Cam, again, for coming to our show. And we will tune in next Saturday at 8.30 a.m. for a new show. Yes. So thank you, Go Country listeners, for joining us this Saturday and every Saturday. We look forward to next Saturday. And remember, let love rule. Thought it was love, had kids in between. You can count on us, we're the custody queens. Yeah, you can count on us, we're the custody The opinions expressed on the Custody Queen Show are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for personal, professional, legal advice. The persons discussed are fictional and not based on actual clients.